We now come to the point in our service where we give our attention to the reading of God's word and the teaching and preaching of God's word. And over the last several weeks, uh, we've been doing a vision series together, reflecting on the teachings of Jesus on specific matters and values that we think as a church is something that Jesus wants us to focus on. Uh, We've been looking at things like the church being a missional church or the church being a merciful church. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at a church that grows in discipleship and as a family. And so I want to encourage you today, uh, as you are joining us in this moment, uh, to to take out your bulletins and to follow along and to listen to the scriptures that will be read to you and eventually taught to you. Our passage today is John 15, and uh, I invite you to follow along in your bulletins or Bibles. I Wen will invite you to read. Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 15, verses 5 to 17. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Thank you, Iwen. Let us bow in prayer, shall we? God, we want to ask for your help today. And we ask specifically, Lord, that you would give us uh, insight into your word and that you would give us the gift of illumination as we read your word and hear it taught. And in particular, Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing to you. Would you do these things for your namesake and for our good? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How can we help Christians grow? In our five-year vision process, our five-year vision journey, one of the questions that coming up, kept coming up was, how can we help Christians grow? This was a question that came up in elder meetings, in staff meetings, and meetings with small group leaders. This was a question that many of you asked in your small groups as you did the surveys. How can we grow as Christians? How can we help Christians grow? Well, as we hope to share with you some of the ways we think Jesus will help us grow as part of our vision series this year, uh, John 15 is our choice text to summarize some stuff that we want to share with you. Why? Why do we want to go to John 15? 
we want to go to John 15 in particular because John 15 summarizes the foundations for Christian growth, teaching us about the source of Christian growth, identifying for us some markers of growth. Jesus is going to show us the root and fruit of Christian growth. As we study John 15 today, we'll have two points to guide our study. The first is the root of Christian growth, and the second is fruit of Christian growth. Let's look at our first point, the root of Christian growth. As we look at the foundations of Christian growth, Jesus clearly tells us what the root of Christian growth is. It's him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Plainly illustrating for us that Christian growth is founded in him, Jesus says the root of Christian growth, the source, is him. It has been debated among scholars why Jesus writes this section in John 15, but most scholars believe that it's because he wanted to assure the 11 disciples of their progress and to encourage them to remain in the faith. See, in earlier chapters, we see in places like John 15 uh, that all this, all this teaching, all this uh, activity happens in the upper room discourse. Having served as disciples by washing their feet in John 13, the scriptures say that after washing their feet, Jesus turns to them and then serves to them some hard news. One of them, we know to be Judas, was going to betray him for crucifixion and death. One of them, Judas, was going to betray him. Jesus' teaching here begins shortly after Judas leaves the room. And it's at that moment Jesus warns and encourages his disciples. The summary of his discourse, remain in the faith. Why? As John 15 reveals to us, in remaining in the faith and being faithful to Jesus, they will see growth and they will see life. Deny him and there will be no life and there will be loss. Verse six tells us this, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Here, Jesus tells us what will happen if we separate ourselves from him. We will suffer great and tragic loss. Outside my house, I have an apple tree. It's a huge tree and uh, an an ugly tree, if I'm honest. I I don't like it. Uh, And thankfully, one day, one of my neighbors uh, decided that the branches on his side of the lawn were getting too, 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 too high. And so he wanted to cut down some branches. And he cut down a lot, thankfully. But missing some branches in the cleanup, some of the branches, I noticed, sat on the ground for a couple of weeks. Severed from the root, do you know what happened to those branches? They began to die. They began to wither. The fruit that was on them fell off. The leaves on them turned brown, and after several weeks, we picked them up, and we threw them in a bag, and we tossed it out with the gardening waste. Using something physical to teach us something spiritual 
Jesus wants us to see something that is inherently true about life in Christ. Connected with him, you will thrive. You will become that tree like my apple tree. You will thrive and you will flourish. But to disconnect yourself from him, you will not thrive. And the scriptures would even go as far as saying, you will not survive. William Hendrickson is a theologian, and he notices in verse 6 that there are a few things that happen to people who are dislocated from Jesus. One thing that will happen is that you will begin to wither, he says. Hear what he writes, though you linger in this life for a while, you will often find yourself without peace or joy. A sense of withering is what often we will feel. The other thing you will feel, and the other thing that will happen to you is that you will expose yourself to the risk of God's eternal judgment at the end of time if you are not attached to him. When Jesus says that the branches are thrown away into the fire, commentators are consistent. This is a reference, this is a reference to judgment, eternal judgment. According to the scriptures, there are eternal and temporal consequences, eternal and temporal consequences of being separated from Jesus. Not only will there be a withering in this life, but there will be a withering in the next, in eternity. If you are investigating Christianity today, I think this is something you should consider soberly. Because many of you feel like you're withering today. I know from talking to a To many of you, you feel like something's missing in your life. And that something that's missing has brought you here today. For some of you, it's peace. For some of you, it's joy. For some of you, it's love. You feel like something is missing. And God wants to warn you in our text. This is actually just the beginning. The scripture says there is also something more waiting for you in eternity if you continue in your way. There is an eternity of greater pain and greater loss. There is an eternity of eternal withering. The pain you will feel in eternity will make the pain you feel today feel like nothing. What's the cause of all this? You've been separated from Christ. You are separate from Christ. And what you need to do is to come to him, to be joined to him in faith and repentance. For in doing so, not only will you be spared, but you will find new life, brilliant life. You will find what you are hoping for, dreaming for, and longing for. So come. Come to him and be joined to him. Christians, some of you have noticed a decline in your life. There's a decline in your joy and a decline in your peace. This passage here invites you to reflect in your own life. Could it be possibly that you are separating yourself from Jesus in willful acts of disobedience, 
running from him, nurturing secret sin? Could it be that you were separating yourself from him in your disobedience? If this is you, I know from my own experiences that such a question as I've asked will typically fill your mind with that which you are actively disobeying, disobeying God with. If this is you, I need to warn you. Your withering is a message to your own soul, like pain is to the body. You, you are out of joint with the source of life. You are dislocating yourself from the source of life. And God wants to call you back to him. He is calling you back to him. So go back to him in faith and repentance. If you do not, if you do not, what you will inevitably reveal to yourself is that you were never truly part of Jesus. And that will amount to your great loss, eternal loss. So, repent, repent, bear the fruit of repentance and give yourself some assurance. Allow God to give you some assurance. For those of us and those of you who are abiding in Jesus, there is a stunning promise that Jesus tells us here in our text. He tells us that those who are joined to him can expect a few things. One thing that you will see is great fruit in your life. The other you will see is guaranteed fruit in your life. You will see great fruit in your life and guaranteed fruit in your life. Look at the text. It says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, he it is that bears much fruit, much fruit. If you abide in him, you will see growing peace. You will see growing joy and you will see a whole garden of other fruit, spiritual fruit, sweet fruit. We'll talk about what some of those fruit are later in our second point, but notice the promise. You will see great fruit and guaranteed fruit. I spoke to a few Christians this past week uh, just about this topic, and one pushback I got was uh, from a brother who said, Kingsley, I, I, don't, I don't know if that is true. I, I don't know if actually this is true. See, I... I I mean, I don't have secret sin in my life, and I am faithful to God as, as my conscience is clear, but I still don't see a full garden of fruit in my life. I don't know if this passage is really true. If you are thinking like my brother did here, I, I want to encourage you to consider the organic aspect of gospel growth, the organic aspect of gospel growth. Because it's important, we recognize that Christian growth is organic, not mechanical. Jesus chooses to describe our growth with him uh, with a botanical illustration, not a mechanical one. Jesus doesn't say that we are bricks being tossed on top of one another, growing at an equal height each day. No, he says we are branches that are attached to him, growing as branches do. When you think about how plants grow, most of the time you don't notice it's growing. Like a weed in your backyard, or your, your parents' backyard, because nobody can afford a backyard anymore. Uh, for a full month, the backyard is clear. There's no weeds. 
And then one day you're just sitting there sipping a lemonade and all of a sudden you see this ugly monstrosity in the middle of the field. Organic growth is like that. It happens at its own pace. The growth may be slow at times and then it explodes at other times. Christian growth, Christian growth is like that. It's organic. And so if you are struggling to see growth in your life, you, 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 you don't have secret sin in your life, you're obeying Jesus to the, to the best of your ability in the power of the Spirit, I want to encourage you. The fruit will come. The fruit will come. You might not see it right away, but it will come. Remain faithful. Keep the course. Keep the faith. You will see growth. At this time, you might be wondering, you know, Kingsley, what does the word abide mean? How do we abide in him? We, we heard the word abide asked, uh, repeated over and over again in this passage. Um, how do we abide in him? And how, how do we maintain our connection to him so that we might grow if Jesus is the root of growth? Uh, verse 7 tells us, let's read verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Here, Jesus tells us how our connection is maintained with him, how our relationship is sustained in him. It's by abiding in his word and praying to him, the word that we've been abiding in. One of the mysterious things about Christian growth is how God uses his word and prayer as a means for nourishing us in him and maintaining our relationship with him. Like, like sap, like sap that, that gives steady nutrients for steady growth, so God feeds us his branches through his word. What's more wonderful? In his words, we hear his voice. In prayer, he gets to hear ours. Sinclair Ferguson, a wonderful theologian, gives a clear definition of what abiding in Christ means. He says, abiding in Christ means allowing his words to fill our minds, direct our wills, and to transform our affections. And in verse 7 to 10, we see this described. We hear God's word, and it settles in us. It takes root in us and then transforms us so that our fundamental orientation in life becomes less and less about us and more and more about God. Concerned for his glory, we obey him and are enabled to cherish him in joy. The word that abides in us does something to us. And it produces in us fruit in time. Uh, some of you might be distracted by Jesus' comments about prayer right now. What, what does Jesus mean by ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you? Is he saying that he'll give us a free pass to ask for whatever we want in this life? No, no. Jesus' teaching on prayer isn't saying that. Because Jesus' teaching on prayer assumes that you've been abiding in him. This means it assumes that your desires are totally in sync with him. Praying his will be done, not our will be done, his will be done. Jesus says those are the prayers that will be answered. Uh, Next week, Dan's going to be talking about prayer. So he's going to teach us about kingdom prayer, and he's going to show us what kingdom prayer looks like from Luke 11, assuming he doesn't change the text last minute. If you want to learn how to pray... I encourage you to come next week. We're going to learn how to pray these kinds of prayers. 
As we summarize what we've learned so far, what Jesus shows us in this section is that he is the root of all growth. And how he nourishes and sustains our relationship to him is through his word and prayer. Implications. Since this is a vision series, I want us to focus on how we as a church plan to position ourselves so that we might be nourished by God through his word and prayer. Starting this fall, I want you to know, Grace Toronto, that we want to be more intentional about how often we pray. We will have regular opportunities for us to come together in prayer. What's more, in your small groups, we're going to dial up the intensity of our praying. In addition to praying for one another weekly, uh, regularly each week, uh, we're also going to cultivate a habit of praying for things like the church, the city, and the world each week. Specifically in your discipleship groups, if you're part of one, your leaders are going to ask you to help prepare some of these points and to help lead one another in these points of prayer. And the whole purpose of this is to encourage us to ask God, what do you want us to pray? The whole point of this is to encourage you to position yourself in the abiding root that is Jesus and to ask him, what do you want us to pray? Regarding scripture, regarding scripture, one of the things, one of the things that our small groups are going to do is have uh, reflective Bible studies together each week. Helping us apply God's word, we're going to reflect on the passages that are preached on Sunday in small group. This will hopefully help us sit in God's word more intentionally. This will hopefully help us sit in God's word more intentionally to meditate, it, meditate on it together and to apply it together. In the new year, one creative thing that we want to tell you about and introduce to you is a coordinated adult Sunday school program too. A program that will help us abide deeper in the scriptures and grow us in our knowledge of the understanding of the gospel. We're going to cover topics like Bible books and do overviews of entire Bible books. We'll have our elders and pastors teach you practical things like how to share your faith biblically, how to pray biblically. Because Jesus, because Jesus is the root of Christian growth. And as a church who wants to grow, the wisest thing we can do is position ourselves in him so that we can grow. Jesus tells us that the root of Christian growth is him, and the way he nourishes us is through his prayer and word. So let's position ourselves and abide in him together this year. This is our first point, the root of Christian growth. As we consider our second point, the fruit of Christian growth, here, here we want to examine some of the sweet fruit that Jesus says will start to grow. The, the list here isn't exhaustive, but selective. We know this because if you were to survey the entire orchard of God's word, you'll see that you'll find other lists of fruit that a Christian can grow. Uh, as I say this, you're probably thinking of the most common passage already, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Our love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, uh, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. One important observation that theologians have made is that Christian fruit in the New Testament is always spiritual in nature and not material. And John 15 here is no exception. Jesus doesn't highlight the same fruit that you see in Galatians, but he, hi- he highlights uh, four unique other fruits. Well, actually, two of them overlap with Galatians, love and joy. Uh, but there are two other unique ones for us to consider. Specifically, 
These fruit in John 15 are obedience, joy, new faith, and love. Obedience, joy, new faith, and love. Let's look at them together. Firstly, obedience. If you look in your passages here today in your bulletins, you'll see that in verses 9 to, 5, uh, 9 to 15, excuse me, uh, obedience is highlighted over and over and over again. In this text, in these texts, we see Jesus refer to our obedience to his commands multiple times. Serving as a proof of Christian growth, one of the key markers of growth in the Christian's life is a growing obedience to God. What he says we're to do, we do. And not with white knuckles or grinding teeth, but with a willingness and eagerness. One of the biggest mistakes that Christians make in our church is often making obedience not a fruit of Christian growth, but a new root of growth. And I want to reflect on that a little bit together because this has costed many of you joy in your lives and peace in your lives. It has led to great discouragement to many of you. Many of you have thought that if I read my Bible more, if I pray more, or if I give more, if I do these commands that Jesus gives more, you'll think I'll grow. Jumping on a performance treadmill, you think if I check all the boxes, that will make me grow. If you think this way, as I'm prone to think this way, the only thing you will grow in your heart is a sour fruit called pride and self-pity. Pride when all is going well and when you're checking off the boxes, and self-pity when all is not going well and you're missing all the boxes. When all is going well, you will think, we will think we're doing great and we'll even start praising ourselves and fishing for praise from God. Pride. And when all is not going well, we'll say to God, God, don't look at me. I know you're mad at me. We'll try to hide our face from God. What we've cultivated in those moments are sour fruit called pride and self-pity. It's important that we be extra watchful against such fruit in our lives because such fruit has a way of taking up garden space in our life. Choking out the good fruit, the rotten fruit, will lead to our discouragement and lead to our suffering. One fruit that Jesus wants to draw attention to is obedience. Obedience that is a proof a result of your abiding in him. The next fruit we see is joy. Joy, verse 11. If you look at verse 11, you see joy. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Another key marker of Christian growth is joy, enduring joy, eagerly obedient joy, enigmatic joy. It's a joy that affects our obedience, and it's a joy that affects every other aspect of our lives. Decades ago, I met a man named Jesse Newton. Um, Jesse was an engineering student at McMaster University and uh, serving together overseas as missionaries for a summer. We worked on a campus telling people about Jesus. And in my time with Jesse, I was always perplexed by the brilliant joy that surrounded him. His eyes shimmered, 
and a smile blazed as he clearly and cheerfully told people about Jesus. There was a maturity that undergirded his faith, yet a childlike wonder that surrounded his faith. It was radiant. And everyone, I mean everyone, people on my team, the students that we talked to, everyone couldn't help but be attracted to him. I, I envied him because he had something that I didn't fully have. Near the end of my time overseas with Jesse and on the project, I worked up the courage to ask him for help. Confessing my lack of joy and confessing my struggles in faith, I I, I asked Jesse, what's the secret? Dude, what's the secret to your joy? Looking at me with his blazing blue eyes, Jesse said, there is no secret in our Savior and let his love abide in me. I abide. That day, we talked about what abiding looked like, and he showed me how he abided in God's word. He literally sat there, opened up his Bible, and just read it verse by verse. And he would just underline it and read slowly. And he said to me that he was a slow reader, And because he was a slow reader, all he could do was just read deeply. So lingering at each word, he let God's word fill his soul. And he waited for God to move in those moments. I was so intrigued by that. I was so intrigued by that. And so the night that I returned to Canada, I thought to myself, God, why don't we try that? I opened up my Bible at random and prayed, God, let your love abide in me. Reading the first lines that fell, that my eyes fell on, I found Colossians 1.13 in front of me. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. (laughs) Reading those lines over and over and over again, I read them, repeated them, and pondered them, waiting for God to show up. Guess how long I waited? One hour? No. Two hours? No. Three hours? No. Four hours. I sat there looking at those lines over and over again for four hours, wondering, God, Are you going to show up? These words don't mean anything to me right now. Growing tired and discouraged, I said to God, God, I only have one more read left in me. And so I went through the motions and I read the text. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Coming alive, those words just clicked. And I don't know what happened, but in that moment, it all made sense. It all made sense. I thought, God, I'm loved. God, I'm saved. 
I've been pardoned. I've been forgiven. I've been moved from death and moved to life. I was in prison and you set me free. I deserved wrath, but you gave me life. I am loved. God's word spoke to me. I am loved. And you know what happened after that? Everything in me told me to leave the room and to go downstairs. And so I ran downstairs and I said to my mom and dad, Mom and dad, you are loved. You are loved. You are loved by a beautiful God, by a precious God, by a God who is perfect, a God who is beautiful, a God who is lovely. You are loved. And preaching to you now, I want you to know, church, you are loved. God's word says you are loved. The joy overwhelmed my soul. It was unexplainable. It seemed like God built a superhighway between my head and heart in the four hours I waited for him. And when things were finally complete, zoom! His love just rushed in. The joy just rushed in. And what's even more surprising is how that joy changed everything after that. Obeying Jesus became less burdensome. Sharing about Jesus was less troublesome. Reading the Bible became less cumbersome. Joy entered my soul, and it changed everything. It changed everything. One of the sweetest fruits you can grow as a Christian is joy. Life-changing, spirit-awakening joy in Jesus. If you have never experienced that type of joy that I'm describing today, I want to encourage you. This is something Jesus wants to grow in you. I know it might sound impossible. It might sound scary. It might sound unrealistic. But if you want this kind of joy, can I encourage you to do something radically bold? Can I encourage you to consider meeting with Jesus the way that I was instructed to? Set aside a day or even a night in your week where you can meet with God. No watch, no clock, nothing to stop you from meeting God. Open your Bibles to a passage specifically that tells you about his love, or pick a whole selection of passages that tell you about his love, and then sit with them. Sit with them with nothing but a longing and prayerful heart. Sit with them. Don't let time be an excuse. Don't let your children be an excuse, parents. Don't even let your low energy be an excuse. Because the joy you will feel when God shows up will be worth it. It will be worth it. I have met only a few men and women in my life who have dared to meet God this way. And of all the people who have dared to meet God this way, none of them were disappointed. 
Jesus shows us that obedience, joy, these are two fruits. Obedience and joy are two fruits that a Christian can grow. A third fruit is new faith. New faith. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. In referencing the work of the disciples who are to go into the world and to bear fruit that will last, scholars are convinced that what Jesus has in mind here is the new faith or different conversions that would happen throughout history as a result of their fruitfulness, of their going in faith, of their gospel work. Standing on this side of history with billions of people in heaven today, in eternity, and also Christians around you today, we know that Jesus was right. There was a lot of fruit that was born out of those disciples going. God somehow, according to the word, says that when you abide in him and share your faith with people, he will use you to awaken new faith in other people. And that's stunning. That's stunning. Because if this is true, that means the fruit we have isn't just for ourselves. It's also for others. We have a gift that we can give to people. Grace Toronto, if this is true, this means we need to use things like Alpha, Connect Groups, Friday Night at Grace, and Grace on Tap as often as possible to be platforms for us to reach our friends because new faith apparently can be found. Beautiful fruit, life-giving fruit, salvation can be found for our friends. Obedience, joy, new faith. The last fruit we see is love. Let's look at verse 12 to 17. The last fruit Jesus highlights is love, love. My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In John 19, Jesus doesn't just talk the talk, but walk the walk we see. He carries a cross to Golgotha. Being pinned to a tree, Jesus gave his infinitely precious life for you and me. Paying for our sins and bearing our shame, we see in the scriptures that Jesus takes away our eternal shame as he dies for us and lays down his life for us. Jesus says that one of the natural fruit that a Christian will grow is self-sacrificing, self-giving love that looks like Jesus. A love that looks like Jesus and a love that gives like Jesus. As I was thinking about this specific part of the message and preparing it last night, uh, it was very unsettling to be preparing the sermon last night, um, One part of me wanted to highlight all the different things we could be improving on and doing better in as a church and loving one another. And no doubt there are things we could improve in, but as I sat with that and I wrote those things down, something didn't feel right about that. Because what I think God wanted me to do instead with Remainer Time was to actually encourage us by highlighting some of the ways that we have been loving well and to encourage you to actually keep doing what you're doing and to grow more in those things. 
while I was praying about this specific part, one thing that I kept hearing, I know this sounds really mystical for a Presbyterian to say, uh, but one thing that I felt like God was saying was that he was actually praying. And I was, as I was thinking about you as a church, I actually felt proud of you as a church. I know we don't say it enough as pastors and elders in the church, but I felt proud of you guys because we have actually loved each other quite well over the years. How? Well, let me tell you how. I have seen many of you forgive one another when deeply wronged by one another in small groups, but also in the church as a whole in times of hard conflict. I have seen many of you go through the hard motions of forgiving when you were grossly wronged, bearing more than was your portion you bore the pain of some people's offenses to you and you turned to them in love and you returned to them love. I've seen many of you give to one another when others were in need. I've seen people share their clothes. I've seen people share their homes. I've seen one person, I heard one person last week actually say that he let old tenants live in his new house that he bought from a previous owner stay in his house because they couldn't afford to live anywhere else in the city. He decided that him and his family would rent an Airbnb and pay $5,000 each month on top of their mortgage so that they could allow this other family to continue in their home while they tried to find a new place to live. That's a lot of money. That's his home. For the sake of Jesus and for the sake of loving others well, he did it joyfully. His family did it joyfully. I've seen others share their cars with one another. I heard about a congregant sharing a van with another congregant and letting them use it to host other people and to drive other people up from the church to their home so that they can host them for dinners because not many people have cars in the city. I have seen people share clothes, homes, and cars and many other things in the name of loving one another as Jesus loved you. I have also seen many of you sacrifice your own financial gain, not just like the person with the house, but also in your tithing, in your giving. One of the remarkable things that stunned us last year in December was just how behind budget we were. We were really behind budget. I'm not talking about $100,000. I'm talking about more than $100,000, $200,000, maybe $300,000 behind. And in the span of a month, you felt, as a church, compelled to give and to fill up what was lacking in the church budget so that we could continue the work that we were doing. One of the things as a ministry director that I was concerned about was that my budget would have been cut and I wouldn't be able to do half the stuff I wanted to do with small groups. We did cut my budget by half and there was concerns that we had to cut even more. But because of where we were at as a church, because of your generous giving, your loving one another, those fears, those concerns were wiped away. You have loved well, Grace Toronto. There are ways we can do better, for sure, but you have loved well. You have been creative in the way you love. You have been thoughtful in the way you love. You have been radical in the way you love. And I am proud of you. And even more importantly, your God 
is proud of you. If I can encourage you, I want to encourage you to continue in the creative love. I want to encourage you in your thoughtful love. I want to encourage you to continue to lovingly welcome the inconveniencing, inconvenience of loving one another like Jesus. Continue to bear the good fruit of love as you abide in him. For in doing so, you will glorify your God and honor him. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. And I pray that as we meditate on your word and as we sit with your word, uh, we would learn to be a people, a church who deeply abides in your word. We would also be a church that not only hears your voice, but actually speaks your word back to you in prayer. And in being in union with you, God, we pray that not only would you be glorified, but that we might experience joy to the full. Radical joy. Radical joy that would transform our lives. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, Stephen, we have some times for questions, and so uh, at this time, we'll do what we can for questions. Lay it on me, brother. Thanks, Kingsley, for your sermon. We have one question here, okay. and we have time for one question, okay. so it works out. Let's do it. The Lord knows. <laughs> the question is this. So does abiding in Jesus mean reading the Bible? What does that really, uh, what, what could that otherwise look like? Okay. Um, does abiding in Jesus mean reading the Bible? Um, yes and no. Okay, let me unpack that. Yes and no. Uh, reading the Bible, in, in, in one sense, it's like this book is God's way, primary way of communicating to us, okay? Every word of Scripture here, the Scripture says, is inspired by God. God breathed, useful for teaching, training, correcting, and righteousness so that the man and woman of God might be equipped for every good work. God says that if you want to hear his voice, this is literally from the passage we read today, if you want to hear his voice, you, it's through his words, through his words. We have a recording here of all Jesus' words as they're inspired by him. And so, yes, in, in some ways, to, if you want to hear his word, you want to abide in his word, uh, part of it is means you have to read it. Now, do you have to exclusively read it? Well, thankfully, because of technology, I would say no. No. Because we have wonderful technology that actually reads God's word for you. And so you can still have it heard, and you can still hear it and allow it to abide in you, and sit in you and transform you. There's also uh, ways that God's word can abide in you that might not be as, uh, that might be distilled is a way uh, to say it. Uh, uh, David Mathis wrote a book called Habits of Grace and uh, he talks about abiding in God's word. And he says you can abide in God's word by reading it unfiltered through this book directly going to the source material or you can abide in it by listening to sermons that accurately preach God's word or listening to devotionals that teach God's word. There are many ways that you can listen to God's word today and hear his word and let it abide. So uh, is reading the only way? Yes. But thankfully also because of technology, no. And so I, I hope that helps. I hope that helps and that uh, gives you some direction in how you might want to apply this word. Uh, at this time, I want to invite you all to please rise for a song of reflection. Reflection. <laughs>